From deep in the heart of the swamp, this is Gator Tales, the official podcast of the Florida Gators. Gator Tales is brought to you by UF Health, the official healthcare provider of the Florida Gators. Welcome to Gator Tales. I'm your host, Adam Schick. The way the football schedule generally works, we aren't conditioned for truly massive games until later in the calendar. But in 2021, the script is flipped, with top-ranked Alabama heading to the swamp this weekend for the first time in a decade. On today's show, we'll dive into the details with FloridaGators.com senior writers Scott Carter and Chris Harry and cover the matchup from every angle, including the question on everyone's mind. What role will quarterback Anthony Richardson play? Then, defensive tackle and Auburn transfer Daquan Newkirk shares his personal journey to Gainesville, reveals his very diverse hobbies, and reflects on past battles with the Crimson Tide in the Iron Bowl. To get us underway, it's time for the Gator Roundtable presented by Pet Paradise. Are you the kind of fan that loves your team as much as your pet? Bring your pets to play where pet lovers and sports fans collide. Pet Paradise, the official pet care provider of the Florida Gators. We are excited to welcome Scott Carter back to our roundtable this week. It is once again a roundtable. It is not the bistro table Chris and I occupied a week ago. Um, Both of you guys, Scott, you were at the game, correct? Yes, I was there. You guys are both there. Okay. Um, Both of you guys were in Tampa, a place you spent a lot of time over the course of your lives and careers for the Florida USF game, which went, I would say, about the way most people expected. Uh, I don't know that anything drastically changed that much from week one to week two, but what was it that you guys noticed that that caught your eye? Well, uh, I think for Florida, I mean, it was a a, a good tune-up in the first half for Alabama. Second half, not so much. Obviously, with some of the turnovers with Emory Jones, uh, you know, I, the quarterbacks have dominated the conversation since that game. Adam, you know, both guys, Emory Jones and Andy Richmond, uh, had moments where they looked really good. I thought Emory Jones threw a great uh, 35 yard touchdown pass to Xavier Henderson, had a nice 33 yard run. Uh, Anthony Richardson, he, he continues to be like Superman. I mean, what, three for 352 yards passing? The 80-yard touchdown run, but after that run, that's what dominated the headlines, and that was how's Anthony Richardson going to be for Alabama, and really, that's the only takeaway that mattered from that game, in my opinion, because I thought even before he pulled up, you knew that Dan Mullen, they're gonna, he wants to use both of those guys against Alabama. I think he thinks they have to use both of those guys to win, uh, but at the same time, uh you know, we don't know where Anthony is. Uh, he's practicing this week. So we'll all find out together on Saturday. It's probably going to be a, what they call it, Chris, dated day. I think he's dated day. Um, we're all dated day, Scott. Yes, but <laughs> I think in this, in this case, it's really dated day with him. But, you know, in, in terms of looking at that USF game, Adam, I mean, at halftime, I was already thinking ahead. It was 35 to 3. You could tell they were just wanting to get a lot of young players some reps, uh, get Richardson and Jones what they hoped, I think, at a good place by the end of that game. And, you know, neither guy really left that game in a, in a great place. 
Emery with the turnovers and Anthony with the hamstring. But of course, you know, it could be all irrelevant if he's healthy and Emory can shake it off and have a good game against Alabama. It'll be interesting. Well, I, I don't know that you can add much more to what's what Scott said. I think in a, a perfect world from that game, it was 35 to three and it was, the game was headed in the direction it needed to go. You know, I, I don't think a 42 20 win at USF um, was particularly Im- impressive. Really the, the, the main thing to come out of that game was uh, it's 35 to three at halftime. I'm sure Dan Mullen said, let's keep sharpening this uh, Emory Jones uh, toolbox, um, the tools in the toolbox. And the two plays that Emory made weren't great plays. Um, and you know, he's got two games. He's got four interceptions. Um, so the, the chatter is what it is. You can call it the noise, noise in the system and what have you. And Dan Mullen's not, not we know he's not listening to it. Uh, but we also know he's going to, he's going to play the players that are going to give him the best, the, uh, the best chance to win the game. He said all along, and I believe he's believed all along uh, in maybe a, a different form than he's led us all to believe, which is what coaches do. That both these guys are going to play. And uh, I wouldn't be, you know, if Anthony Richard can go, um, he's going to play more than he's played. Um, and maybe that'll quell the, the, the fans a little bit. Um, but I just, I, I think I said this last week, you can't just, you're not filing Emory Jones away after these two games against these two teams. They're going to roll him out and see how he, how he plays in the big games. And I think I said last week also, uh, Adam, uh, you know, we don't <laughs> – there's a lot more to the Dan Mullen playbook. Right. He's one of the best play callers in the country. He has that reputation for a reason. Um, there was no need to uh, uh, get overly creative in games against Florida Atlantic and South Florida. I mean, how many – misdirection plays, jet sweeps, uh, uh, you know, you haven't seen any kind of uh, trickery or chicanery and you're going to need that. You need some, some outsmarting of Alabama because Alabama is, you're not, you're not going to overpower them. I actually heard a talk radio guy last week after last week saying, well, you know what? I think that uh, after watching the game, I think that our best, our best way to beat Alabama, only way to beat us is, is probably just try to wear them down and overpower them with the running game. Um, I don't think Alabama's going to get worn down and overpowered with the running game. Okay, no. you got to you got to do a little bit of everything, and uh, they're going to need they're going to need both the quarterbacks. Uh, they're going to need Anthony Richardson, uh, assuming he's healthy, to make some of those Anthony Richardson plays. Uh, they're not going to be that easy against uh, an Alabama team. Um, yeah, they've rebuilt some things. Remember, this is a program that put six first round draft picks in the league last year. Unreal. Okay? And they just they just restockpiled it. They got about 85 robots and a bunch of robot coaches coming in <laughs> this week who do, who don't care that the other teams on there and whatever that whatever Nick Saban says about oh the challenge of playing on the road and all that stuff. This is Alabama's a team that just cares of they they're programmed all those players to do their job no matter what the score is at any time. Uh, no matter who the opponent is. And they're going to be uh, uh, they're going to be ready to play Florida, regardless of how hyped uh, the swamp is. And it's you know it's as hyped up a game coming into at this place as there has been. I mean, Scott's been here longer than I have, uh, probably in the last uh, uh, ten to twelve years, I would think. It's it's an exciting element, but you know, Gators are going to have to play better. Um, they gave up some plays the other day defensively. They gave up a long kick return. Um, those are going to make a big difference in a, in a, in a game like this weekend. So 
you're not going to play a perfect game against Alabama, but you're going to have to play as, as close as perfect and as turnover free as you, as you possibly can. And those guys know they're just got to play better. You, you touched on it, Chris, but I feel like part of the challenge of playing Alabama is the, the Alabama of it all, if you will, right? The aura, the prestige, the ranking, I mean, just every part of what makes them the cyborg of college football, as you just described. And I know you guys have been talking to players about this, you know, throughout the week already. But how much of the challenge, I mean, there's there's obviously a there's a challenge that's presented by how good they are and how talented they are. But how much of it also is this getting over that mental hurdle of being in awe of Alabama and thinking about how good Alabama is. Well, I think one of the things that you, that they can lean on on that front is the game they played last year. Uh, I mean, Alabama beat, I think their closest game besides the, the closest game was 17 points. Florida, the Florida game was six points. Maybe it you know, I think Florida scored late to make it look cosmetically a little bit better than it actually was. Right. You know, it, they needed an onside kick at the end of the game, but I remember one one play in particular. Uh, is, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Scott, but you get it. Trey Dean makes an interception and gets thumped, and and it's a huge play in the game. They've turned Alabama yep. over. It's like hitting uh, 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 Ivan Drago. You know, he bleeds, and it was a huge <laughs> play at the time. You've actually stopped them. That defense actually stopped, and the guy gets hit and fumbles it right back to him on the same play. Uh, it's just, it, it was a, a deflating play at the moment. And just so you have to capitalize on those mistakes Alabama makes because there's so few of them. But like I said, to go back to your original point, what do you do to kind of break the, the freak out element? If there is, you know, this is the first number one team to come here since Miami in 2002 wow. to come into the swamp. Yes. Um, what do you do to, to just get over that kind of, um, uh, mentality or whatever is, is, you know, maybe you, you did really well against them last year. You certainly moved the ball against them a bunch. And granted, uh, there's a bunch of different guys on the field and what have you, but yeah. you had the scheme to do it. And scheme scheme is good. You need players, of course, to match the scheme. But um, from a confidence level, uh, maybe that's something from which to, uh, to operate. Yeah, and that's something that the guys who have spoken have talked about. They've obviously been asked about what they – can take from that game last year. Uh, you know, some guys have said it was motivation because, you know, they got to the SEC championship game and it was a, it was a close game when a lot of people didn't think it was going to be that close of a game considering, you know, the loss for Florida the previous week at home to LSU. Uh, but they showed well. But, you know, two different teams. I mean, you're looking at all the talent that's gone from that game. I mean, Najee Harris scored five touchdowns for Alabama. He's not, he's not <laughs> there. Mac Jones is not there. Kyle Trask is not there. Kadarius Tony's not there. So, I don't I mean, think Devontae lot... Smith is there either, and he won the Heisman Trophy. <laughs> That's right. Devontae Smith's <laughs> not there. So, I mean, just so – so you got a lot of new faces, and that's what the Gators were talking about. You know, Mullen was asked about Nick Saban's dominance. Todd Grantham was asked about Nick Saban's dominance. And I got to believe that by this time in their careers, and as long as they've been in the SEC, how many times do you think they've been asked about – Nick Saban's dominance. Dan, so Mullen, many, Dan Mullen's 0-10 against them, so he's yeah, probably wow. been asked about it all, yeah. all 10 times. Yeah. So many times that you could tell they give they give nice answers, but they're not they're not they're, ti- they're tired of giving the answer. Tired. Yeah. Yeah. They're they're not going to go deep diving on 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 that. They want to finally beat the guy, and I don't know if Florida is Saturday the time they can do it. I don't know. We'll see. 
But I know at some point, uh, when you do what Alabama's done under Nick Saban, it's going to end. We all know that, but it doesn't look like it's close to ending to me. I mean, it really doesn't. And that's what is amazing to me. And I mean, they're coming in here as a 15 point favorite. <laughs> and I, I don't know when the last time the Gators have been a, a 15 point underdog at home. Florida State, Florida State, Florida years. State. Okay. So it's been a long time. And before that, it had probably been a real long time. And so you just put all these things together, Adam, and um, it, it's going to be an uphill battle. But I think Florida, as we said and we've talked about, I mean, at least they know recent history was a lot better against Alabama than those two SEC championship games in Atlanta under McElwain, the trip to Alabama in 14 with Muschamp. And, of course, the last time the Crimson Tide was here in 2011, still remember the Gators struck it big with a, a long touchdown pass from, what, I think, Brantley to the Bows, and the place was rocking. And by the end of the night, it was it was sleeping. I think it was 38-10. And, you know, that just kind of sums up the rivalry in the last – this was such a big rivalry for so really the first two decades of the SEC and divisions, but the last uh, decade it's been all Alabama. I think they won seven in a row over Florida. I think it's important for Florida to get off to a good start, but then he brings up that <laughs> they couldn't right. have get, gotten off to a better start than an 80-yard touchdown pass on the first play of the game, and they still ended up losing. I think the score was 38 to 10. But I, when yeah. I said when I say good start, it's something to feel, to feel good and really get the get the place going and everything. I think that. That goes for both sides of the ball. A good, you know, some some good series. Get at, have a night, have a have a first quarter that's competitive, and then just ride the momentum because there's gonna the, the longer they're in the game, the more energized that place is gonna be. This the swamp has been itching for something like this. Remember a few years ago, uh, two years ago with the Auburn game, what that was like, and I thought it was Auburn number seven. I think when they came in, I believe, and but I mean that Auburn team is nothing like uh, this team coming in here. So. You hear the cliche, it's not about the X's and O's, it's about the Joes. Is that is that how it goes? Am I missing something? Jimmy's, Jimmy's, Jimmy's in the Joes. Jimmy's, Jimmy's the in the Jimmy's. Joes. Right, so okay. So or Jesse, Jesse's in the Joes is what uh, Ron Zook used to say. <laughs> okay, so that thing, right? Um, right? So we've talked about the Alabama, the, the, the name part of it. Tangibly, what makes this Alabama team so good when you look at them on paper and, and obviously in the film room as well? I think it's good. It starts at quarterback again. I mean, Alabama... You know, Nick Saban has – he's always been a defensive guy, and his first part of his tenure at Alabama, it was more about defense and offense. But then college football changed, and suddenly Nick Saban starts rolling these guys out at a quarterback who are breaking all the school records. And the latest one is Bryce Young. He's not breaking records yet because he hasn't played enough, but he's got all the tools too. And actually, I'll take that back because in their season opener – I think he threw for 367 yards, which was Alabama's all-time record in a season opener. So he's already came and stamped his place. And, you know, you followed him. You had Mac Jones. You had Tua before him. You know, A.J. McCaird and all these guys. And Jalen Hurts. Jalen Hurts, <laughs> who had a great game the other day in the NFL. I watched a little bit of that. So he's just – he's put it together with another great quarterback. Uh, they're always big, strong – up front on both sides of the ball. For a change, I think if you look at this Alabama team in 2021, one of the, I guess, question marks, if you want to call it that, the offensive line lost some key pieces last year. So they've been relatively untested, I think, against Miami, 
and Mercer. So now the Gators, who have an experienced veteran defensive, really front seven. I think it'll be. A, I think that's an area that Florida could have an advantage if they play up front like they they've been. A, you know, they can. But yeah, I mean, you look all around the field, Adam. There's not many weaknesses at Alabama. So when you ask what's tangible about this team, I look at the quarterback and every other position on there that they've got the best players in the country or they've got more of the top players in the country than anybody else. You guys have have followed and covered football for a very long time and and discussing how recently Florida played Alabama and having that to maybe fall back on the fact that they played them closer than, than most other teams recently have. I am curious, the idea of holding things back, and we heard it from Dan Mullen, we heard it from Todd Grantham as well, both indicating if you show Saban something, he will absolutely find a way to exploit it. How much do we think there could be that is a, you know, shrouded in mystery when the teams did play so recently? How, I guess the question is, how realistic is it to think that we're going to see things that much different from what we've seen through two weeks? Nick, Nick Saban's not going to be surprised about anything, but you hope to surprise his his players on the, on, on the field. And they just have to anticipate some things. And he's played Dan Mullen enough to know um, and have a very good idea of the of the things Dan Mullen likes. Uh, what he doesn't know is who Dan Mullen likes to do those things on this team. Mm-hmm. So if there's an advantage there, that's that's what it is. Um, you can also say the same thing about Alec because whatever, whatever whatever Florida can do on offense. Alabama can do an offense too. Um, they, uh, Florida has four-star guys doing it. Alabama has five-star guys doing it. But uh, uh, but I do believe there is something to the fact that Nick Saban didn't go into the first game of the season. Um, I don't think they held anything. They, they didn't go in there. So we're going to hold some things back. Maybe some, maybe very limited number of things. But he had to convince his team that Miami was a legitimate team, whether Miami was uh, – you know, overrated or whatever, or my, or Alabama was just a lot better than, than they were. That was a big game. He had to sell his team and he had to give them stuff to get them ready for that game. Not so of course from Mercer or what have you, but Florida hasn't played a, a game, an opponent like Miami. They knew they were going to be, if they did what they were supposed to do, if there weren't like four five, six turnovers in a game that they were going to win those two games comfortably. I believe that. So I think there were some things that were kind of kept close to the vest. And I think you can say the same thing defensively also. What those are, I'll look forward to see if they materialize and anything happen. But they're not going to surprise Nick Saban. Nick Saban knows that Dan Mullen is is very creative when it comes to uh, putting guys in position to make plays. Um, That's that's what he's telling his, uh, his, his guys in the meeting room right now. Yeah, one final thought on this in terms of uh, what to expect. Everybody's talking about injuries through the prism of, okay, what does this mean for Anthony Richardson? Florida's also dealing with some injuries on defense in some key spots. And when there's already questions about how the Florida defense will hold up against Alabama relative to what they've shown the first two weeks of the year, uh, I know that there's a lot of questions about that. So what do we know about the health of the Florida defense and how is that going to affect them as they prepare for a probably their biggest challenge of the season? Well, I mean, the big question mark, obviously, is in the middle linebacker spot with Ventrell Miller, their leading tackler from a year ago. He left the USF game. I don't know what it was, an elbow, arm, or what. You know, Ventrell's had shoulder problems, too, at Florida. Uh, he's he's played through a lot of injuries and still found a way to get on the field on Saturday. But he's going to go into this game, I think, questionable uh, from what Todd Grantham. Did you just tell the tone last night with the defensive guys? You could tell. They may have him, they may not, but 
one guy who's been moving into the middle we haven't really seen before is playing well is Jeremiah Moon. So I think, you know, Moon would get a lot of that middle action if uh, Miller is unable to go. So I think that's the big question mark on defense. And really, some of the guys who haven't played a lot on defense, Brent Cox Jr., Zachary Carter, both of those guys sit out the whole second half. They're not hurt. That was just a plan uh, to take those guys out. The only other one, I think, uh, Elijah Blades, the cornerback, you know, he had a, I think, tightened hamstring, wasn't comfortable with playing the second half. Again, hamstrings, they're truly day-to-day. He just never know. I mean, he could uh, he could play, he might not, just same as Richardson, just how fast they heal and how comfortable they feel when it's time to kick off. So we'll see on Saturday. But I don't. I think other than those guys, I don't. I don't know of anybody else other than the, the guys in camp, like Jalen Lee up front and Jalen Humphreys on the defensive line. Seems like they're both going to get back in the rotation. But I don't know how much with Alabama. So you know you're going to have Valentino, Newkirk. Truesdale, Carter, Cox, Diabate. You know, you're going to have your veteran guys up there most of this game. So some of those guys that fans have been talking about, you know, are they going to get on the field? Jervon Dexter. They're, yeah, Jervon Dexter is going to be important, I think. The other guys, you just, you know, get them some uh, breathing reps, basically. When it's a big game, you've got to have a, a big star to come out and get it all started with this celebrity, Mr. Two Bits. And I think that Bradley Beal uh, fits the bill. Maybe one of the, I would say, probably top top five wealthiest professional athletes that have come from Florida, probably only behind Joe Kim Noah and Al Horford, if if that if I'm processing that right in my head. Um, but he's still a big deal, uh, the real deal Beal, as he is known on Twitter. And uh, you know, it's gonna be cool to see him in the swamp again, with uh, certainly a lot of uh, a lot of hype surrounding the game and and his return. If he resigns with the Wizards. It'll be his third max contract signing with the same team, same with your with the franchise that drafted him. Right. Which means he would be eligible for the highest uh, annual salary of any professional athlete in America. So like sixty uh, million dollars a year. It's something like fifty seven million dollars. Yeah. yeah. Something something fifty seven million dollars. Something like that. So yes, Not bad. no, 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 no. And he, the guy the guy, but yes, he was one of two one and dones in the history of the program. He obviously uh, my this is my first year. When I came to work at Florida, he was he was here. And for a kid who didn't turn um, 19 until the day he was drafted, he, his era of professionalism and his uh, his habits, both on and off the court. The guy was a, a an honor student um, as a biology major and a first team All SEC selection, the third pick in the draft. Like I said, one of two one and dones in history. And obviously his career speaks for itself. Three also. He's already scored a thousand more points than any Gator to ever play in the NBA. Wow. Um, he would have been on the Olympic team were it not for a last second bout with COVID. Second in the NBA in scoring last year behind only Stefan Curry. Um, I actually talked when talking to him, and he said he's really looking forward to this. And it, he was here when the when the when the Gators weren't very good in football. It was Muschamp's first season. They were seven and six that year. Uh, but he said he made a lot of friends. He had a lot of friends in the dorm room who were football players. He says he still uh, uh, is still as close to Jacoby Brissett today. Um, but uh, uh, is, he comes from a football family. I didn't know. I mean, I knew all of his brothers, two older and the two twin, bro- young, two twin younger brothers, 
all of them were either offensive linemen or tight ends. And the, um, when I say tight end, I mean like six, five, like two eighty. Uh, he had his, his, his younger brothers were something like six, six and, and three fifty or something like that. The twins and went and played, uh, uh, like, a you know, D two or, or NAA or whatever, SCS class, uh, football. But, uh, he, he said I was the run of the family. Um, but he's done okay for himself. Yeah. 31.3 points a game last season. He's made about 1,300 threes in his career, scored over 13,000 points. Um, but uh, uh, you talk about professional stardom right now in, in any of the sports. Um, Brad Beal is, is a big-time Gator, man, and this will be a big deal for him to come back. Um, he, he Even though he was only here a year, he's, he's maintained his, his ties. He – he was here when Billy Donovan Court was named, uh, uh, even though like he could have been at the All-Star game that weekend, not playing because he didn't make that All-Star team that year, but he didn't go to All-Star weekend to, you know, schmooze. He came here to honor his coach. He's given money as namespace in the Florida basketball complex in the uh, in the weight room, the Bradley Beal Fuel Bar. Um, so this it's it, his ties here are important to him, and this will be pretty cool. So he, like I said, a football family. He's here for the biggest football game here in years. He's excited about it. So uh, do your two bits deal, uh, Brad. And um, while he's here, uh, he's going to go talk to the um, to the basketball team. And I would think that uh, someone like that will probably garner um, some pretty close attention. If I know if I was Brandon McKissick or uh, Colin Castleton or or Tyree Appleby or Flanders Fleming, I would probably listen to Bradley Beal, see what he has to say about his time here, what it meant, and how it can help your your future. Yeah, very cool. Bringing it all back around. Um, one thing that I want to bring back around before we get to our PAT is some other really significant news this week, which was that the University of Florida, speaking of the actual academic part of this, uh, has now reached top five status in terms of top public universities in the country. And I remember not too long ago, when the goal was to be a top 10 school, now it's top five. And again, when we talk about everything that makes Florida unique and special and stand out to recruits, to fans, etc., it's this total package of athletics and academics, which is, I mean, there's no better example of that this week, right? Biggest game in the country and huge news academically at the same time. The university was tipped off to this actually coming to fruition uh, a couple days beforehand. And I, you know, it's it's something that I don't think can be um, underemphasized uh, when you think about it. I, I mean, top five public university that that's really really impressive. And um, you know, when you when you talk about UCLA, uh, Cal, Berkeley, Michigan, Virginia, and Florida, those are those those are the first five. Uh, I think Florida comes in and tie with North Carolina and Santa Barbara. Um, and of those, uh, and you, you can start reeling off top tens or whatever, but then you get into when you, when you say, okay, well, let's take the circle that's academics and the circle that's athletics and put them together. Who's in the middle. It's just Florida. It's just Michigan. It's just North Carolina. And that's rarefied air to be in, in terms of a top five athletic program and a top five academic program. Um, To your point, you said you, you know, it wasn't that long ago, the everyone aspired to the everyone here aspired to be in the top 10. It was 2017, actually. Wow. Was the first I thought it was pretty recent. Yeah. Yes. Yes. That was when Florida, I think, was uh, went to 12 and then said, OK, uh, 
So when they did finally uh, reach number 10, that's when um, the board of trustees and uh, President Fox came up with the goal to rise to five. And that required a lot. I mean, it required a, a lot of high standards academically. It required a lot of um, uh, people poning up uh, donations and what have you, uh, research, so much to uh, put into it. And, you know, good for this university. And, and this weekend, uh, there's going to be a lot of banners over University Avenue and a lot of stickers and a lot of reminders and probably on TV during the CBS broadcast, uh, Florida will make sure that uh, the, the national audience knows that uh, it is now a top five university and one of only three top five uh, public universities academically, top five university athletically. Yeah, undoubtedly a, a very exciting week for everybody involved in both the university, the athletic program, et cetera. The Gator Nation, everybody is very proud, excited about this news. And uh, the arrow just keeps pointing up. I want to turn our attention now to our PAT. It was inspired by this week's Monday Night Football, uh, which was essentially a, a mega cast that we've seen in the past for championship games and whatnot. But this is now going to be an ongoing, regular occurrence of Peyton and Eli Manning doing their own little watch party for Monday Night Football. And I think it was it was maybe a little bit raw. I don't know that they totally had all the roles figured out, but it was just it was kind of funny just to sit there and watch a game. And it's like you're on a Zoom with Peyton and Eli in different locations and they're watching the game and talking about it. Uh, and it just got me thinking about if you could have any athlete or you know, it could be a celebrity. You could have Snoop Dogg call everything if you want to. Um, who do you think would be most enjoyable to watch a game with? which is, in essence, what this Monday Night Football broadcast is giving us the opportunity to do with Peyton and Eli. What, what Eli and Peyton were doing wasn't, you know, wasn't a whole lot different than what if I turned on uh, MLB Network and see, hear those guys sitting there when they, when they cut into a game and sit there, three of them, who, whoever it happens to be on a particular night, uh, talking about and, and, and commenting like that. The difference is it's fake Manning, who's really, really entertaining. I would think like, like, like uh, Warren's maybe, maybe Warren Sapp and uh, Ron Artest or something like that could, uh, could talk about a basketball game or a football game. World meta, like world meta peace, Chris. World meta peace, yeah. Meta uh, world peace. Uh, meta world, meta, meta world, world peace. peace. Have, a, have, both, have both world meta and meta world <laughs> on there at the same time, split screen. Um, but uh, the, the, going back to my original point, the, the, it, Peyton just has it, man. And, yeah. you know, his skit from Saturday Night Live, however many years ago, is one of the greatest things that, I, that, I, that I've ever seen. Certainly one of the greatest things any sports person have ever It's just come so naturally for him. His, uh, his Peyton place things are, are very well done and, He's just, he just had, he has the, he has a delivery. He has the timing. He's smart. Um, uh, people used to make fun of how he talks. It's all part of the, it's all part of the package. And, and granted, and, and, and Eli's good too. Eli's making fun of him when he's put, when Peyton's putting that helmet on and trying to like mimic what the Ravens were doing and, and the helmet wouldn't fit on his head. And uh, and I guess Eli said something like he goes he goes that's shocking that that helmet won't go on your head. Is it, it? It's obviously not an XL. And so so they they they've given each other hell. I would imagine for their for their whole lives. But um, uh, we'll we'll see where this goes. I you know I like that they you know beam in um, 
different people. I guess through, I, I saw them when Travis Kelsey was was on. Who else they had? They had Russell Wilson, I think, and somebody else. When the game was entering its uh, crazy overtime death spiral, uh, that was when they had Russell Wilson on as well. Uh huh. Good for the Mannings. Uh, 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 what's he doing now? T- uh, uh, academic Bowl or something too? Um, yeah, he's doing the thing with with Cooper, yeah. the the other brother. Yeah. Yes. Where they're doing it's like a, a college a college quiz right. bowl essentially. Right. Right, that's right. And so um, it's all his, 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 uh, I think it's his Omaha Productions. I read something about mm-hmm. that, that he's got his own production company and he, he wants things that are different. He's not, he doesn't want to sit in the studio and, and for as, you know, some of that stuff where he's yelling things before plays happen. I hear Tony Romo do that every Sunday. Yeah. So uh, it's just, it's just kind of, it's got a different look to it where you're looking at Peyton's face and looking at their reactions and stuff like that. And it's not really a, a original idea per se, but uh, it's it, these guys doing, it makes it uh, give, gives it a little more, I think uh, juice to it. If Peyton wanted to be Tony Romo, uh, every he year, he wanted. He could every be every year yeah, every year, the networks are trying to convince him to be Tony Romo and they'll pay him whatever he wants. But to your point, Chris, uh, I think Peyton knows that he's got something more to offer Mm -hmm. and he can do things that other athletes just can't do because he has the personality. He has that spark. I mean, I just, I'm not trying to knock on Tom Brady. Tom Brady can't do what Peyton Manning does. He does not have that type of charisma. Um, And I think that's what's so what makes it so impactful for Peyton is that it's almost, it's like a sneaky charisma because as you said, people make fun of the way he talks and maybe he, he comes off a certain way, but he's much more than he appears. And now he's finally able to take advantage of that and, and kind of bend the will of media to fit what he wants to do, which is, it takes a special kind of person to even have the ability and the clout to do that. Who would you rather be Peyton Manning or Tom Brady? Wouldn't everybody rather be Tom Brady? I know I would. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and you know, I don't know that, that you gave very. You, you may have undersold Tom Brady because now Did that I? Tom, yeah, because you know, and now that Tom Brady is not under Bill Belichick's thumb, you see him loosening up, and you see him more as a as he doesn't look like. Let's go back to your word, cyborg, that maybe he was before. He's loosened up, and you saw you see more of his personality now in, in what's happened with him in Tampa. And these, this commercial he did for the these commercials he's doing for Subway, um, he would not have been able to do those. I don't think at New England. I don't, I, don't, I think they would have discouraged that. But uh, they're funny. The one that, that's debuted obviously last week was it was it's kind of kind of weird. Some people thought it was kind of creepy, but you know it, he it's it's him doing his thing. And, and if you recall, uh, wasn't he in the golf thing with the they were all mic'd up to play golf? Yeah, but that was yeah. really boring. Okay, well, I'm just saying, but 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 Tom Brady had a couple decent decent liners in there, whereas I think Peyton had the funnier lines. Peyton mm-hmm. probably worked on it harder and had probably, those lines yeah. had those lines in his back pocket because yeah. he 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 gets it a little more. Maybe Tom Brady's just starting to figure it out. He's also still probably the best quarterback in the NFL now. Still, so he's still got some time left. I mean, him and Grock would make a good show one day doing there what you guys talking about. I I like uh, Barkley and Shaq the way they do their thing. It's, a good, it's almost a good example. It's kind of almost what we're talking about, just a little different. Yeah. If so, you put anyway. them in the middle of it, you see, it's I think it's different though with studio guys versus 
live commentary. Yeah. You're just, yeah. just going to react differently to things as yeah. they happen live as opposed to when you have a chance to kind of sit and stew on an opinion and then further formulate it. I mean, to Chris's point, there's something to be said about spontaneity and what these guys are actually thinking in the moment when things happen as opposed to after they've filtered it and processed it a certain right. way. In Peyton Manning's case, I could tell you one that would get good ratings. Him and Spurrier doing a, a college football game together. That would be funny. That would be funny. It was funny. They they, they did a – did you flash – they flashed the graphic. It showed him in the – they called it the sheriff. Did you see this part where they had him in the black and white? And the, in, when he was at Tennessee, they put the sheriff. And Eli's going, where'd you – who who made that? – that's fake. He goes, no one ever called you the sheriff when you were at Tennessee. <laughs> like, like, and it's true. It's, it's, it's something, they, just, they just came up with that out of nowhere. And he, and he goes, well, we're just trying to do something because Gruden was Gruden used to be on Monday Night TV and they came up with something like that. I don't know. But um, I think one of the other things that, that makes it work is because until Tony Romo uh, started screaming and yelling, you know, predicting plays before they happened, the, the, the fans weren't getting this um, in the weeds, you know, terminology. They're in cover zero and, and, still, and, and, and these guys are watching a game and talking about it as if they're coming to the line and, and calling right. the play. And I think I think there's a faction of fans, the wonks, that that like that stuff. Um, some people may not, but uh, that's why they're, they're giving you a different channel to watch. But there, it, it, it is different, and we'll, we'll see where it goes. I mean, one, one week you can't tell. I mean, I, I think it's, you know, it's going to we'll, – we'll see which direction they go. It wouldn't shock me if more people watch Peyton and Eli than watch the regular on ESPN. We'll have to wait and see how that shakes out. That would surprise me a lot. That would surprise I, I think you? there's a big number of people that don't want to hear that stuff. They just want to watch the game and get get the X and the O's and get we'll the see. Jesse's and the Joes. We'll check the numbers. We'll talk about it next week. And we'll also talk about the Florida-Alabama game. There's only one place to watch that. It's on CBS at 3.30. Uh, and, of course, all the content related to it you can find at FloridaGators.com and by following these guys at Gators Scott at Gators Chris. Uh, gentlemen, Try and uh, keep keep the swamp in one piece for us this weekend, and uh, we'll talk to you next week. Thanks, Adam. Thank you, and stay tuned, everybody, for the our, our simulcast with Peyton <laughs> and Eli during the Alabama game. <laughs> <laughs> when it comes to transfers, few coaches have found as much success as Dan Mullen. Under his tenure, the Gators have consistently landed impact players like John Grenard, Van Jefferson, Trey Grimes, and many more. One of the latest arrivals is Daquan Newkirk, a defensive tackle from Orlando that chose to change his Tiger stripes to Gator scales. We spoke to Daquan about a variety of topics, some of them very surprising, beginning with the start of his story. When I started playing football, it was a very young age, probably like five. I know I started actually playing contact football at seven. But uh, it all started in the backyard with my cousins. My cousins, I had, uh, they all were older than me. And they were all playing football well, uh, well before me. They used to all just sit in the backyard. We just play like, you know, tackle, you know, you know, sandlot football all the time. They always take me with them when they go play sandlot somewhere. And um, that's how I, I grew to uh, fall in love with football. Now, were you always a bigger guy? Did you immediately – gravitate to to the line or were you trying to were you trying to show you could maybe uh, be a playmaker too i was always small my whole entire life until like i would say like four or five years ago wow yeah i was a small guy so in high school i was probably like 190 205 Hmm. i was a skinny guy 
But um, I played basketball, football. Um, I was really good at basketball. At one point in my sophomore year, I was about to quit football completely just to play basketball once I started to, like, grow and fall in love with that, too. And then my coach, I was uh, – it was Coach Gerke at the time when I was at uh, Evans High School. He was just like, I'm going to call your mother. I tell her you're no longer playing basketball. He never called her, but after he told me that in my face, he was like, you know, you belong, you know, on the football field. And then that's when I just came back out to practice and I started playing football again. Yeah, but uh, I was a running back. I was always a skilled guy growing up from when I started. So since I was seven years old, all the way to until I was 18, I was a running back. Wow. I had like a choice to play offense or defense um, at the next level. Um, I had offers for running back from a few schools, but a lot of moves for like defense. I was supposed to be a book. I was a smaller guy, so I was going to be a linebacker. But uh, besides that, I just told him, you know, I'm looking for longevity. So I want to be on the defensive side of the ball. How did you take that transition? When you're used to being a skill position guy your whole life, uh, how do you how do you make that switch to being on the line and and still finding satisfaction without having you know opportunities to score and any of the the, the highlight plays? I, I would say it was rough when I first started, and like you know, my journey with college ball was a little different. I had to go to junior college, go to some stuff out of high school. But I'm glad I actually went that route because even if I would have went straight to Auburn out of high school, I was not ready to play like the physical line at all. I couldn't even get a proper stance. It was completely like different for me. It was hard at first. And like in my junior college at Mississippi Gulf Coast, they kind of molded me into learning how to actually play, you know, D-line. And my first year I ran short against like a savior. And my second year I came back and I was like, I was having fun because I'm making plays. So, I mean, I'm getting tackled for losses, mm-hmm. tackling people. Not, I'm not hurting. I'm not. I'm not hurting myself. I'm hurting other people. Like, <laughs> I'm not. I'm not delivering. You know, I'm not getting the blows anymore. I'm delivering them. So, right. That was better. And then once you know, I had a little success with that. I mean, I, I grew to. I grew to love it. You mentioned starting out at a at a, at a JUCO level. Um, what was the recruiting process like before then? So, I mean, if you were if you were kind of late to switch positions and your size was kind of, you know, in between, did you get a lot of D1 offers out of high school or did you have to go that route to be able to, to make it to the next level? I had a good bit of D1 offers. I mean, at first, like schools like Ohio State offered me running back, Bama offered me for running back, Miami. It was a few schools, but like, People like, you know, Bama and Ohio State kind of stood out to me like, like, dang. I was actually, like, just shocked. Like, I honestly didn't believe any of it could come true. Like, I was playing football all my life. I didn't, like, get offered until my junior year because I never, like, went to camps. Not not more so because I didn't believe in them, but, like, I only went to one camp. My sophomore year, I went to an Auburn camp, and that was that. I always got invited to camps, but I never went. So, like, I was an under-the-radar type of guy. I never posted, like – any of my offers, it was more so like when I transferred to the private school uh, my junior year, they were posting my offers and stuff like that, and I would kind of retweet them here and there, but I would really not like broadcast my uh, recruitment like that. I think um, I should have, when I'm like looking back, enjoyed the recruiting process a bit more. It was new to me, so like I didn't know how to go about it. Um, I was more so like super loyal in like recruitment. Like when a school like, like Kentucky was my first D1 offer, and um, and it was for uh, linebacker. I was, you know, 
loyal to them at first and then Auburn came and then I went to a visit to Auburn and like I had guys that I went to high school with um end up going to Auburn and guys that went to my high school that was older than me was at Auburn so like that kind of helped that you know progress and stuff like that hmm. I like I didn't understand you could be loyal and still go visit other schools just to see you know what they did what, what it is to offer but um yeah going the the juco route what was that like i mean obviously you're getting big time offers and you you have an expectation of playing in you know 90,000 seat stadiums and just all the fanfare around it what was it like being at that juco level and and how did you grow from it why was it important i think it was just a a little stepping stone in my life and i i needed to go that route because like it just helped me mature a lot faster like when i, when I first got there I still, you know, wasn't doing all the right things like for like the first couple of months because like I was just bummed that I was there. Like I'm like, dude, I'm a D1 athlete at JUCO. Like, why am I here? Like, I'm better than a lot of these guys. These guys are here because you know they didn't really have opportunities to go to a D1 school or big school out of high school, and I did, and I messed that up. So I, you know, I just found a why. Like, just went full fledged. And just try to do all the right things and try to mold myself into the guy that I know that I could be, which I, I have. But Juco was everything for me. And, like, if I could go back, I would. Not saying, like, I would give up D1. I'm just saying, like, if I could go do it again, I would only go back just, just to redo my start there in the first couple of months, me making, like, some of the wrong choices. It was just, like, not crazy wrong choices, just, like, stuff for school wasn't really taking it serious at first. But once I got in that mindset, like, you know, it's only temporary and, you know, there's another, you know, door on the other side and I can get out of it, I get out of there and actually be where I'm supposed to be. That's when I really start to like own it. In terms of that loyalty, uh, Auburn showed that to you, you showed that to them because that's where you went after your time at in JUCO. Um, what was that jump like? How tough was it going from JUCO ball to playing in the SEC at obviously a, a very high level? That jump was – it was crazy. But, like, when I got there, I was honestly, like, more ready than I ever was because, like I said, I, I didn't go to just, like, any JUCO. I went to, like, one of the top JUCOs in the country. And they've been that for, like, years, years, like, way years before me, they, like a – decade before me so going to Auburn and playing playing there it was it was a little different as far as like um the guys that I was playing against you know bigger guys more talented and just the plays I would say that was a big difference from Juco like you only had <laughs> it wasn't many plays probably 20 plays like Auburn like or well, any D1 school you just have to learn an entire playbook just got to learn a bunch of stuff, which is very complex. Mm-hmm. What are what are some of your best memories from your time at Auburn? Uh, I my one of my best like all time memories is um when we beat Bama, and you know everybody rushed the field. You know after that game, you know you, downtown was like swole, like you can't even move. <laughs> but, uh, you roll, they roll, they roll the trees at someone's corner, mm-hmm. and you know that's that's pretty. That's pretty neat. Yeah, it, it's funny when you've played it at multiple schools and you're on the other side of big games, but the game this weekend is probably the biggest game in the Swamp 
since the Auburn game in 2019. What do you remember about that game, and, and what did you learn about the Swamp on that day? That the fans can really help win you a game. I can tell you that. Like, just the momentum swings and when the fans got into the game and then the players got juice, it was really crazy. Like, I remember the first play on defense, they caught a slant and it was a touchdown. My ears were, like, dinging. <laughs> like, like, I was like, wow, this place is loud. And when that happened, I was like, this is going to be a game. Because that year, we had one of the best defenses, like, in the nation. So, it was definitely, like, top 10, like, and that was just crazy, like, but um, it was fun, though. So, when you decided to transfer, what made Florida the right place for you? Oh, funny. So, I, I always drove home from Auburn. I never, like, flew. Mm-hmm. And going home from Auburn, you always – I always have to pass through, um, you know, Gainesville. Mm-hmm. And I always told myself, like, dang, like, even driving back, I was just like, dang, if I was at Florida – this would be my exit right here. It's only an hour. <laughs> it's so much closer. <laughs> exactly. I was like, dang, it's an hour and 30 minutes and I'm already here. I would always see it. I'm like, you know, if I was to ever transfer, I would go to Florida. I'd be so close to home. When the opportunity presented itself, what else stood out to you? What what made it feel like the right fit besides just the the geography of it? The guys that I would be around, just the defensive group. Um, even when I got here, just I just needed guys to like push me. And it was, I knew they had a bunch of talented guys and they would get me either to that level or above that level. I just do come in here, you know, we have a great chance at winning something and doing big things. So, I mean, looking good so far. So, hmm. yeah, I can imagine when you come in, there's some uneasiness because you're not sure like, which guy is going to be my guys, you know, for you. Yeah. Who was it that, that really stepped up and, and made that connection with you and made you feel at home right from the jump? Zach, Zach was the first person on D-line to hit me up. <laughs> he was like, let's do it, my boy. <laughs> <laughs> couple couple I-4 guys, right? Yeah, and then um, there's a few guys. Like uh, Jacob hit me up. He was like, let's get it, family. He said something like that. Pouncey. There's a few guys hit me up, but um, after, like, once I got on campus, it was Zach, and then, like, it was Javon. Those two guys kind of, you know, definitely helped me gel with the group. What works about that group? Is it is it personalities? Is it similar interests? Why is this group such a, a tight-knit crew? I feel like <laughs> we all have similar personalities. We all goofy. We love to laugh, but when it's time to work, we know how to come to work and get the job done and actually work hard. Like, so I, I, I think the personality base is really, really the, the big thing. But um, also our work ethic is like, you know, crazy. Mm-hmm. So I've seen that. I've been around some groups where, you know, you got half the guys that want to work and some of them, you know, you know, straight away. But since I came here, it's literally the whole entire group ready to work, down to do whatever. I saw in a tweet from you recently, you said that you focus on one thing to get better at every day at practice. Where mm-hmm. did that mentality come from? What what started that for you? So when I got here, it was just like, I'm an older guy. I know a lot. Now I know a lot about, you know, different, you know, stuff on the D-line. 
and just keys in general. But, you know, every day Coach T would come out. He just talked to me about some of the little stuff. And I would always want to just focus on all the little things he's talking about because that's how you become a great player. So I felt like if I watch film and it's something I'm not doing exactly correct, but it can be better, I try to focus on it until I do it perfectly. So each and every day I come out, if I'm doing, say, I'm good at playing a three-check, but when I'm in a, a two-I or a G, we call it whatever we call it, I'm stepping kind of wrong. My hands are not in the proper place, so I'm not playing the block as I should. I focus on it each and every day. Hmm. That's how I become better, you know, repetition and just doing it over and over again. And actually, when you actually think about it and focus, you actually do a good job. So, okay, so what happens what if you decide to focus on something and then you get it really quickly and there's still a lot of practice left? Do you switch to something else or you say, okay, I'm, I'm done for today. We'll start something new tomorrow. No. Um, so even if I'm still getting it, I will still focus on it. But in my mind, I'm like, okay, I'm getting this. I'm doing better. Now I can kind of, you know, focus on something else that I'm not doing quite correct that could be better. So um, I can focus on multiple things in that practice, but at least my main emphasis was handled. Do you feel like, is that all just self-evaluation or do you tell your coaches, hey, I'm working on this. Let me know. Let me know how I'm doing this particular thing. Is it all just you or, or do you ask for input as well? Oh, I ask for input all the time. You know, I, I always want to be coached. But like even before I watch film, even before my coach, you know, get to the, like, tell me I go over to the facility early and I'm like, yeah, coach, uh, you know, my footwork is bad on this play, on this technique, and, you know, I got to do this better. And he'd be like, yes, yes, you know, agreeing to me. So, like, before he's already correcting me, I already know, like, I'm at the level now, I already know what I'm doing wrong. I know exactly when I mess up. So I try to fix it beforehand. But, you know, I tell him what I'm doing wrong and then I hear his perspective because I always want to be coached because – I haven't been doing this for 30 plus years. Right. And each coach that I've had, that I've had has been doing this for like 30 plus years. So why not listen to the pros? That's a very good point. Uh, I know you can also get better from watching what other guys do, especially older players and people at the next level. I'm curious, what athletes do you most admire? And is it because of what they do or are there athletes you admire because of who they are beyond just what they do in, in their game? I admire Aaron Donald, but, like, he's one of a kind, honestly. But mm -hmm. besides Aaron Donald, I admire my old teammate. He's in the league now, Dead Brown. Talked to him a lot. Mm -hmm. um, that man is, like, unbelievable with, you know, just, you know, being a football player and just being a baller. Like, he does what his coaches ask him to, and then he also does – he make plays. So, I try to watch. Like, I talked to him the other night. We was on FaceTime. We was watching a film together, and he was just, you know, telling me, you know, stuff from a pro and how they coach him and what he sees now and what's different and how he views, you know, pre-snap reads and all that stuff ahead of time. He was just trying to help me with certain things like that. But I, I definitely admire him. That, that guy's motor is, like, unbelievable. The guy, he's probably, like, 325, running mm -hmm. four eight, but he's, like, quick as, you know, ever, like, super quick. He moves great, very powerful. He's a good player. So I, I definitely look at a lot of his film, even though me and him have two different type of player styles. He's he's very powerful, 
and quick. Um, <laughs> um, I would say I'm, you know, quick twitch. I, I am powerful. I am powerful, but I'm more. I don't use power all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, Hakeem Hicks, he he's great too, man. Um, he plays with extreme power as well. Uh, Fletcher Cox, man, that man right there. I watch his film. He plays with a lot of power. Like he just manhandles people. But um, I try to mix my game in with theirs, and um, and try to do all of the above. A lot of good guys to follow there. Certainly, uh, people mm-hmm. that to follow in their footsteps. You'd be in in very good shape in the future. Um, away from the field, what do you what do you enjoy doing when you're not playing or thinking about football? So, I like fishing. I'm actually a bowler. Okay. I'm a good, I'm a good bowler. Um, that's one thing, I, a hobby I picked up when I was at Auburn. I would bowl for like, <laughs> it would be bad, like 10 hours a day. 10 hours a day of bowling? Yeah, I was really, when I was at Auburn, I was very good. I was very consistent. I would go every day. I would literally live at the bowling alley. I would buy bowling balls all the time. That's where my money went. Huh. Um, before I left there, I sold about what? Seven bowling balls. Now I have like four. <laughs> you had eleven bowling balls at one point. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh! How how are they different? Is it is it like a uh, is it like a golf bag? You get like a ball for each scenario. Oh yeah. So you got you got you got strike balls, your spare balls. Your spare balls is just like a house ball, but you know, I want my spare ball looking good, so I just <laughs> buy I buy a spare ball. Your strike your your strike balls. You know they got all different you know type of balls you can get. That is crazy. How many uh, career 300 games do you have? None. None? How, how close? I don't think I ever mm, – close. I, I, I did like 270-something. That's really close. Yeah, that's that, that's close. I think I got 280 before, 280-something. When Like consistent for me, I was like 250. So when I was going every day now, it's like I'm rusty. Like I'll be, you know, lucky to get – 180 <laughs> but I mean the thing with me with bowling it's all about you know the oil patterns and like but going to like normal you know recreational bowling alleys that just like is just for the community mm-hmm. some they don't take they don't really oil their lanes as much because you know it's just a bunch of people come in and just like they just want to just throw the ball down the lane they're not really right. focused on like playing it serious but like i like going to like older bowling alleys because they've been doing it for quite a while and usually they take care of their lanes just because people don't come there as much and usually people that go there is people that like you know asking them to support and just you know trying to be good hmm. so i used to go i used to go to an older place at auburn have you gotten any of your teammates at florida into bowling who who goes with you when you go um i i, I don't so they should just they just suggest like oh let's go bowling tonight I, I'm like, all right, like I come, like we in the group chat, and so I'm like, let's just go bowling, like, all right. And then I remember the first time we went bowling, they didn't know I I bowled, so I was like <laughs> telling them like, I was like, man, I, you know, I bowl, man, I, you know, I, I do this. So I got there, took my bag out of the trunk, had my own shoes, going there. I don't have to pay for anything, just submissions. <laughs> so I get in there, everybody bowling. I go last. I get on the lane. My whole my whole approach is different. Like the way I throw the ball, they see the ball go from one side of the lane to the opposite side. Like, oh, how you do that? Like, <laughs> but uh, yeah. The three hundred game that's that's on the bucket list. 
for me to get 300, for me to get 300, I'll have to uh, be back bowling seriously again. I'm confident at some point in your life it's going to happen. You've dedicated too much time to it to not have it happen at least once. Oh yeah, and um, oh, I forgot paintball, paintballing. Oh man, paintball. Okay. I got, I got into paintballing seriously. Definitely during the summer, the spring for sure. In the spring I was paintballing like crazy. I I was in my own little uh, group called Most Hated. Uh, you know, I got paintball <laughs> gear. I had paintball gear like galore. Um, my paintball marker was <laughs> it cost about almost three thousand dollars. What? Yeah, man, it, I was really serious in paintball. Um, wow. That's one thing that I will. It's actually fun, man. And then once you start learning and, and playing against guys, you're like, dang, this is you know, it's pretty neat. But um, that was definitely fun. What what I take from from what we've talked about is that when you get into something, you go you go all in. You don't. Oh, that's me. That's me for sure. Like anything <laughs> like I like at Auburn, I was into uh, RC drag racing. Mm-hmm. Man, I had I had at least like thirty RC cars, but like Jeez. I ended up. I you, know, you got different skills. You know, you got the one ten skills, the one fifths, the one ace, the one the one seven. You know, man, and I was in the one tenths. This is a whole world I did not even know existed. I did not know there were 120 mile an hour remote control cars. They got cars that go faster than that. Like it depends on what you're getting into. Like you know, that's just the drag racing. That's just doing 132 feet drag racing. But um, they got cars that got speed run cars that's almost going 200 miles per hour. Wow. You should look up John. I think it's Jolly Phillips. Um, he got he got cars going pretty fast, man. Hmm. I gotta make a note of this, man. I gotta check this out after we're done here. A um, couple of final questions for you, bringing things back to football. You certainly know a few things about playing Alabama. I'm curious how much of the challenge is overcoming the hype around Alabama? Is it is it largely a mental challenge just to get past everything that they represent? So the thing with Alabama is you just got to understand they're just like us. <laughs> they just, for real, they put their pants on the same way we do. Mm-hmm. They just go. They just go line up and just play. They try to play perfect football, so you just have to be perfect with them. You can't make many mistakes. You can't once you see like I've been. You know, I played Bama every year I was at Auburn. So like mm-hmm. once you see like with Bama, Bama is not used to teams. You know, keeping up with them. So once you're in the game with Bama, they get kind of psyched out because they're not used to that. They used to you know bullying everybody, blowing everybody out, and you know once you get you know. A good game going with them in this third, fourth quarter, they begin to like be like, you know, what is this? Like, how right, do you guys even the game with it. us? Yeah, exactly. That's all you gotta do is go out there and play with them. You just gotta go play. Hmm. Can't be scared. When you look at them on tape, what stands out? <laughs> they're well coached. <laughs> yeah, seriously, that's every year though. They're well coached. Yeah, and they always and Belmont's gonna have all the good players because they win. They win a lot. So all everybody want to be a part of a winning team. They don't want to go over, you know, go to a rebuilding team or someone that's iffy. Or, oh, we're gonna be in the playoffs. No, they want to be in the playoffs every year. So they get the best talent. You know, there's some guys that end up going to different schools, but for the most part, people go to Bama because they want to win. So they always have, you know, the best talent on the field. But it's all about, you know, lining up and playing. Final thing for you, you mentioned earlier a couple years ago when you were in the swamp uh, with Auburn that you, you saw what an impact a crowd could have and the way it could change the game. 
what are your expectations for what this is going to be like on Saturday? I mean, one of the biggest games in the Swamp in probably, you know, the last 10 years. Uh, what are what are you and your teammates excited about? What are you guys thinking about? It's going to be crazy. It's going to be way – Auburn was a big game, but this is Bama. Like, it's going to be a bigger game. Like, the stadium hold what, 90,000? Yeah. They might squeeze 90, They might squeeze ninety five in there. <laughs> hey, it's gonna be crazy, but um, just just seeing the fans and just 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 filling the stadium just rock like that. That's that's huge. Like it gives me goosebumps. You know, just going out there and play. Like I'm playing a game that I love. I'm out here, you know, playing football. Like this is actually what I'm doing in front of all these people. I'm playing football on this big stage. You know, it's a fun thing. It's actually surreal. Because, you know, I never believed that I would be here. So, Well, you are here now, and uh, we thank you so much for taking some time to talk to us. Wish you a lot of luck the rest of the year. Thank you. It's my pleasure. And that's going to do it for this week's show. If you haven't already done so, be sure to subscribe to Gator Tales in the podcast app of your choice. And please leave a review to help us continue to grow. Stay up to date on everything going on with the Orange and Blue at FloridaGators.com, and we'll be back next Thursday with an all-new episode. Until then, I'm Adam Schick. Please stay safe and go Gators.